Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Hear now the word of the Lord. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my Son, the Beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen and reigning Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. It had been a tough six days for the disciples. They had just been on a getaway with Jesus, a little road trip up north to Caesarea Philippi for some R&R. After all, Caesarea was lush and beautiful, a wonderful place to get away from all the dust and the, the crowds of Galilee. But Caesarea was also the center of worship for many ancient religions in those days. And with all of its competing claims to authority and truth, it was the perfect place for Jesus to pose to his disciples the question of his identity. Who do you say that I am? Well, fortunately, Peter finally got something right, and he declares that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But before the disciples could all celebrate their victory, Jesus immediately tells them that he is on his way to Jerusalem to suffer and be killed. And he says that if any want to be his followers, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. For those who want to save their life will lose it, but those who lose their life for his sake will find it. So for the next several days, the disciples were all pretty quiet, feeling anxious and confused. I mean, this, this was not what they had signed up for. 
And they thought that they were all backing the next king of Israel and that they would all sit on their own seats of glory when Jesus came into power. But all this talk about suffering and dying, self-denial and crosses, that, that didn't sound particularly glorious to them. And so they were all a bit bewildered, trying to make sense of Jesus' words, wondering what exactly he meant by losing their lives. And they began to worry that perhaps they were backing the wrong candidate for Messiah. So the disciples all continued on the journey with Jesus, but there was a little less spring in their step. But then one day Jesus took Peter and James and John aside from the other disciples and he led them up on a high mountain. And when they reached the top, Jesus' entire appearance began to, to change. His, his clothes became dazzling white and his face began shining like the sun. And then suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared there and they started talking with Jesus. And when the disciples saw them, a, a flicker of hope began to stir in their hearts. I mean, maybe those guys could knock some sense into Jesus and talk him out of his gloomy death march. And after all, they were the heroes of Israel, legends of the faith. Surely Jesus would listen to them. I mean, they were like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln for Americans. Or like Martin Luther and John Calvin for Protestants. Or Henry Edmonds and, and Scott McClure for IPC. Moses and Elijah represented the law and the prophets, the most important parts of the Hebrew scriptures. And together they stood for everything that had come before in the history of Israel. And their presence there was a sign that the Messianic age had indeed begun. So Peter says to Jesus, this is great, Jesus. How about I build some dwelling places for, for each of you? And we can just all hang out here for a while. A long while. After all, you guys are the all-star team of our faith. I mean, we could even start a new church plant right here on this mountain. I mean, the views are spectacular. And besides, no one wants to kill you here, Jesus. So why don't we just forget about Jerusalem and, and stay put? I'll get the House and Property Committee working right away on building plans. That's my paraphrase. You know, sometimes in our life of faith, we are blessed to have mountaintop experiences when God just feels so close and the light of Christ shines so brightly to us. I mean, people often experience this on mission trips or retreats or even sometimes in worship. And it can be so tempting to want to stay there and, and bask in that light. After all, the, the glory of the mountaintop is always preferable to the often mundane and sometimes difficult call to take up our cross and follow Jesus. 
But mountaintop experiences were never meant to, to take us away from our ordinary lives, which often lead us through some very dark valleys. They were given to us as gifts in order to strengthen us for the journey by helping us recognize that the Savior is there with us and that in His presence there is holiness to be found even in the dark and ordinary and difficult places of life for those who have learned to see. And on that mountaintop, those disciples got a glimpse into the truth about Jesus, a truth that was often obscured by his humanity. For in that moment, they saw Jesus in all of his glory, the Son of the living God, shining with the light of creation itself and foreshadowing his coming victory and exultation. And in Moses and Elijah, that they also caught a glimpse into that great cloud of witnesses who surround us and who are cheering us on to run with perseverance the race of faith that is set before us. No wonder Peter wanted to freeze that moment in time and start the church's first building campaign. Of course, like Peter, we often think that running the race of faith means being busy for Jesus. And we're good at busy, aren't we? But it's so easy for us to, to get so caught up sometimes in what we ought to be doing as Christians, building churches, feeding the poor, sharing the gospel, working for justice, that we don't take the time to listen and hear what Jesus is saying to us. But far more than anything that Jesus wants us to do for him is what he wants to do through us. But he can't do anything through us as long as we're too busy working on our own plans for all the great things we're going to do for him. And while Peter was still rambling on about his big plans, a bright cloud suddenly overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud interrupted him, saying, Would you just stop talking, Peter? No, he didn't say that. He was thinking it, though. <laughs> and the voice from the cloud said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. You know, we do so much talking in the church. We just love to discuss and debate things, to make grand declarations and proclamations. Often we think if we've talked about a subject long enough, we've actually done something. But here the Father makes it crystal clear that the church's first and most important task is not to be busy doing things for God or, 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 or talking about all the great things that we are going to do, but to listen to what Jesus is saying to us.
This is why spending devotional time with Jesus each morning is so important. Taking time reading scripture and, and, and in prayer and, and in reflection so that we can know his word and so that we can attune ourselves to his voice and his will before the rest of the world has an opportunity to claim our attention and our allegiance. And so that we can learn to recognize his voice in this pluralistic world with so many competing claims to authority and truth. You see, God wasn't just commanding the disciples to listen to Jesus above all other activities. God was also commanding them to listen to Jesus above all other voices. For as important as those great figures in the Old Testament were, people like Moses and Elijah, David and Solomon, Isaiah and Jeremiah, None of them was the Savior. None of them was the Son of God. And so everything we know about them, everything in the Old Testament, must be subordinated to the New Testament's witness to Jesus, the Word of God made flesh. In fact, it is only through the lens of the crucified and risen Savior that we can properly interpret the Old Testament at all as Christians. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel's history and calling. The one to whom God's covenant with Israel was pointing and leading all along. So if we want to understand the word of God in Scripture, then it is Jesus who must be first and foremost in the church and in our lives. And so I believe that the question the transfiguration poses for each of us is, to whom are you listening? There are so many voices out there vying for our attention and our allegiance, telling us how we ought to think and what we ought to do. And if you think that the entertainment and news media aren't doing everything in their power to shape the way that we live and view the world, you are fooling yourself. Movies, commercials, TV shows, talk shows, news shows, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, all of it, especially the stuff geared towards our children. And there are so many political voices out there telling us to listen to them, claiming that they have the answers to our problems and the solutions to all that will give us what we want in life. If we would just put them in power, regardless of how unchristlike their words or actions might be. Heck, there are even many voices in the church telling us to listen to them, claiming that they alone know God's will for the church and for our country and for our world. But to whom are you listening? Joe Biden? Donald Trump? NPR? Fox News? 
MSNBC, Anderson Cooper, Tucker Carlson, Stephen Colbert, Dr. Phil, Dr. Ruth, your financial advisor, your parents, your boss, your teachers, your pastors, there are so many voices. But through all of this cacophony, the voice from the cloud just keeps insisting, this is my son. Listen to him. After all, if you want to know the truth about God, you've got to listen to Jesus. For it is he alone who reveals the Father to us. He is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Not through Moses or Elijah or David. Not through John the Baptist or the Apostle Paul or the Pope. Not through the Buddha or Muhammad or Gandhi. Not through Oprah or the Founding Fathers or your favorite political pundit. Only Jesus. And if you want to know the truth about yourself, you've got to listen to Jesus. For it is he alone who gives you your true identity, not your race or your nationality or your job or your net worth or your political affiliation or your gender or your sexuality. For when you were baptized, Christ's own identity as the beloved of God with whom God is well pleased became your identity. That is now indelibly who you are for all eternity. And you are so beloved that Jesus did come down from that mountaintop. And he descended into the deepest, darkest valley of all in order to die on that cross so that you might live. But if you're ever going to experience the life that God intended for you, the life he was literally dying for you to have, you've got to listen to Jesus. Of course, if you do start listening to Jesus, it will affect the way you live your life. The priorities you set, the TV shows you watch, the politicians you endorse, the way you spend your time and your money, the way you treat other people, the way you talk about other people. For you cannot listen to Jesus and remain the same. Perhaps that's why in the sixth chapter of John, so many people in the crowd chose to walk away from Jesus after hearing him preach. For listening to Jesus will change you. And most people would rather die than change. But when Jesus turned and asked the twelve if they too wanted to walk away, it was Peter who said, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. This is my son. Listen to him. 
Well, after the disciples heard the voice of God boom out from that cloud, they became terrified and they, they fell down to the ground, probably thinking that their lives were surely over. But then Jesus came to them and he, he gently placed his hands on them and he said, get up and do not be afraid. And when the disciples looked up, all they saw there was Jesus standing there alone. Just Jesus. My friends, if we as a church are going to become the community of faith that God is calling us to be, then Jesus has to be our only date to the dance. The one who fills our entire vision and who claims all of our loyalty and our obedience, not our political ideologies or our religious ideologies or our social ideologies or our personal preferences or our dreams for success. Just Jesus and his word. And not just the parts that we like or that are comfortable for us. All of it. Even the parts that David talked about last Sunday. We have to learn to listen to the voice of Jesus above all else. Even when it's hard. Even when we don't fully understand. Even when the cross feels so heavy. And it seems like we are dying. Remember. Only those who lose their life for his sake will truly find it. And just when it seems as if the darkness has won, that life is over, the Savior comes to us and he gently places his hands on us saying, get up and do not be afraid. Just keep your eyes on me, for I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of eternal life. So come, take up your cross and follow me. The question is, are you listening?